At Anytime Fitness, we know that healthy doesn't happen on its own. With coaching and virtual options, we'll help you get to your healthier place. Join Anytime Fitness for only $1 this January. Visit anytimefitness.com for more information. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. No one else would take the job. Uh, I'm a uh, Democratic national Democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, DC, and a political analyst for news radio stations, KNX in Los Angeles, and WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications Research, uh, is polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democratic candidates. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. Uh, if you want to learn more about me or my political polling company, or if you have any ideas or suggestions for Deadline DC, the best way to reach me and contact me uh, is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Brad Bannon. Our guest in the first half hour today is Sarah Jones, editor-in-chief of Politicus USA. Then in the second half hour on our provocative progressive political panel, our guests are Montgomery County, Maryland Councilman Will Jawando and progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute. That I will faithfully execute. The office of President of the United States. Office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability, will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend. The Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help you God. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. Thank President. So help us God. Uh, my uh, best wishes to the new president. Uh, he's going to need a lot of good luck to survive uh, the mess that Donald Trump has left behind. Our first guest today is Sarah Jones, editor-in-chief of Politicus USA. Uh, Sarah has been featured on national radio, television, and print outlets, including Stateside with David Schuster, The Washington Post, The Atlantic, uh, CNN, MSNBC, uh, The Week, The Hollywood Reporter, and now Deadline DC, to, which I'm sure is the capstone to her media career. The website for Politicus is P-O-L-I-T-I-C-U-S-U-S-A.com. Uh, and their t Twitter handle is PoliticusUSA. Uh, Sarah's handle is at uh, P-O-L-I-T-I-C-U-S, 
Sarah, uh, Politicus Sarah, uh, Politicus Sarah. Uh, Sarah, welcome uh, to Deadline DC again. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you so much for having me. It is a wonderful day to be here. Yeah, well, why don't you uh, start off by by sharing your impressions of the inaugural yesterday. I think uh, it went off very well. Uh, We heard the speech that I think everybody expected from Joe Biden uh, and everybody wanted to hear about from Joe Biden. It was all about unity. Uh, What was your impression of the inaugural? Well, first of all, the fact that it happened was incredible. I think yeah, it that is. we were all, you know, very grateful that it and happened. No riots or attacks on, on the inauguration either. Exactly. Was it was a safe inauguration and a peaceful transfer of power, which we desperately needed to see happen, I think. Um, and I wasn't able to exhale until um, Biden was was sworn in and really till he walked into the White House after their, their walk down um, their short walk, but I thought it was and one after of the best. The White House was defumigated, by the way. Yes, which I thought, you know, that just shows where the people who think that Biden is naive know they spent a lot of money to clean that White House. You know that Trump went around spitting on things, so um, trying to spread COVID all over it. So um, I, I thought it was one of the best inaugural speeches, frankly, that I've ever heard. And to think that it was given by a man who struggled with a stutter, you know, he addressed the reality of the myriad of perils that we do face right now. And I don't think our nation's ever been confronted at the same time with so many crises. But he also insisted on calling upon our better angels, and he punctuated that with hope. Uh, And the thing that I liked the most about it was that finally I felt like somebody gets it. You know, he did call for unity. He went after Native nativism and fear. He mentioned telling lies for profit and power, uh, which we know is how we got to where we are today. And he called out white supremacy and in a moral, you know, indictment of what happened on January 6th. And so that to me signaled that he's going to be taking very seriously the need to address the ongoing threat of right-wing domestic terrorism, which has been ignored in this country for political reasons. Uh, and the rhetoric and the lies that incite it. So when he called for unity, and I think this has been kind of uh, glossed over at times, he wasn't calling for unity with racist and extremist. And he w- he was very clear about that, that you have to uh, get, we have to root this out. Um, and so, you know, we can't have unity with people who are radicalized. Uh, you don't unify yourself with racism. We have to deal with the racism in this country and we have to start addressing it. So uh, for unity, you know, we're used to hearing that call for unity and especially we've been hearing it from Republicans. uh, And what it means to them is that we don't hold anyone accountable for the things that they've said and done. But that isn't what uh, I got from what Joe Biden said. So in Fox News and conservatives were complaining about him calling out white supremacists. So, Brad, I was going to ask you, you know, did you think that was odd? I mean, did they recognize themselves or something? Because he didn't call them out. He called out white supremacists. So yeah, unless, he did. Uh, right? he, yeah. Well, unfortunately, I think the problem is Republicans identify with white 
supremacist uh, psychologically. So when he calls out white supremacists, uh, the Ted Cruz's and Josh Hawley's of the world feel he's calling out them. It's a psychological problem uh, that is uh, belongs to the GOP, uh, not Republicans. I'm glad you uh, mentioned the Better Angels because they've been hiding in a secret undeclosed location for the last four years. And I was glad to see him for the first time in a while. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, let's uh, uh, talk a little bit about putting Donald Trump in the rearview mirror. Uh, what do you think is, I mean, there's so much to choose from here. What is the worst part of Donald Trump's legacy? Is it his failure to fight the pandemic? aggressively? Is it the division and discord he left behind uh, or shattered economy? Uh, what do you think historians will remember uh, Donald Trump for in a negative way? I think that all of your points actually go together under one theme, and that is uh, the, the theme of death. So to me, Trump's legacy is from 400,000 deaths from COVID that he didn't ever seem, didn't ever address and didn't seem to care about, um, to his incitement of lies that led to the attack on the Tree of Life, um, his endorsement of the worst people in Charlottesville, neo-Nazis and white supremacists, the attack on the Capitol that resulted in the death of five people. Uh, we have had death, death of people, death of democracy, death of family bonds with the separation of children, um, death of norms of decency. So the death of morality, uh, and it should be, but it won't be the death of the Republican Party. So I think that is what he will be remembered for, that he did not care, not only didn't care about people and about the, the deaths of people dying from the pandemic and from his very words, the lies that he told, but that he actually seemed to egg a lot of that on. And yeah, that's a terrible indictment. Yeah, yeah. it is. Uh, well, speaking of indictments, uh, we have uh, just before the President uh, Trump left the scene, uh, thank God at last, uh, four years too long, uh, the uh, House voted to impeach the president for a second time. Uh, how do you feel about that? Well, actually, uh, we're going to let me uh, bring that up. We've got to go to a short break now. Uh, so uh, we're going to uh, go to a short break and we'll be back with Sarah Jones to talk about the second impeachment. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to. Uh, uh, take a break for our radio listeners and to our radio listeners. If you uh, want to continue the discussion without the breaks, uh, you can watch us on Periscope TV, uh, Facebook Live, or YouTube uh, on Periscope.tv. Uh, it's Periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. Uh, and on, uh, you can watch also watch us on uh, Tiny URL slash BB Facebook Live and on YouTube at tinyurl.com. Brad on YouTube. We'll be back after these messages. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Welcome back to Deadline PC. Brad Bannon. I'm conceding for Leslie today. She'll be back tomorrow. And I'll be back in my regular slot on Monday at uh, 3 o'clock, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. 
Our guest is Sarah Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Politicus USA. Uh, Sarah, let's uh, try this. Uh, yesterday, instead, instead of spending his day in the office uh, tweeting and watching Fox News, uh, the new president, Joe Biden, uh, signed uh, a dozen or so executive orders. Uh, there were a bunch of them. Uh, which of the executive orders did you uh, that Biden signed yesterday do you think is most profound and most important? Uh, you know, he signed almost 17, I think, yesterday. They were they were coming into my inbox late at night. And I could I first of all couldn't get over that. Once again, we have these well-written, um, considered and thoughtful words coming out of the White House, which we have not had for uh, four years. Um, I think it's important that he signed the uh, orders that are going to utilize, you know, to help COVID, to utilize the Defense Production Act, because now that we know that Trump didn't even have any kind of distribution plan, he Biden has signed orders. He's going to rapidly incre- increase the production and stockpiling of the vaccine, get PPE out. Um, the vaccinations are going to be accelerated. And he's going to address the disproportionate impact on communities of color. So that is number one, because, of course, people are uh, dying of COVID every day. Um, And the other things, though, you know, he he signed he got us back into the World Health Organization, um, the federal mask mandate on, you know, the grounds that he can he can have power over as a president. Um, his racial equity executive order. And then he signed um, an executive order that protects LGBTQ uh, rights um, in a way wide ranging that we have not seen. Then reversing the Muslim ban. It it just goes on and on. It it was stunning. I mean, every single executive order that came in, I would start to cry on some of these. And, And, you know, he took away the permit for the Keystone pipeline. All of these things that were done, um, without consideration or, or with bad uh, consideration, with perhaps bad um, motives. He stopped all that on day one. You know, his people came in there prepared and ready to go. Um, I loved that he, with his executive um, order on the environment, made the people on certain sections have to be stakeholders who would have to be heard, uh, so tribal leaders regular citizens, environmental activists. He's elevated all of us to be people who matter when it comes to the environment, because after all, isn't clean air our business? It's all of our business. We are entitled to that. And it just was incredibly moving to see that finally happen. So I I really can't pick out one thing. Okay. Uh, reassured me uh, when, and we heard a bit of it in the clip at the news show at the top of the hour, uh, is uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci made a reappearance yesterday uh, to announce that, uh, to announce uh, officially that Joe Biden had signed an executive order to rejoin the World Health Organization. And just seeing Dr. Fauci after he's been uh, stashed in oblivion by the Trump administration for the last few months, I found, and I'm sure many Americans found, incredibly reassuring uh, and made me feel better. 
let's try this. Uh, one of the things that I thought was nice, and it was probably nothing more than a gesture, but it pleased me anyway, was uh, yesterday uh, there was a short ceremony uh, with President Biden and the House and Senate leaders, uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, and Mitch McConnell, who's at who's actually uh, to yesterday was his last day on the job as majority leader, thankfully. Uh, but uh, he presented uh, yeah, uh, he presented Joe Biden with the flag that was hanging over the Senate uh, when he was inaugurated and said some, you know, very nice things about how proud he was to have a former United States senator uh, occupy the White House. And I, I don't know, I found that very reassuring. But then I thought more about it and I said, how long is this honeymoon going to last? Uh, we're all feeling great today. There's a lot of euphoria, new president. But how long is this going to last? Is it going to last months, weeks, hours, minutes, or is it already over? I think it's, I mean, frankly, McConnell can say whatever he wants. It's always about what he does, right? And he's never done anything to show me that he uh, is interested in working with Democrats and not even just not working, but not obstructing in order to regain power for false reasons. And so I think he showed his hand when they were trying to resolve the power sharing agreement and he wanted to hold on to the filibuster you know, protect it, which, um, and not so that Democrats can't use the nuclear option, which they Republicans just used, you know, to get Neil Gorsuch in. So I don't think he's genuine. I mean, those are nice words, but he's always been good at nice words. Words don't mean anything if you don't put any action behind it. And I think that uh, Joe Biden must be very aware of Mitch McConnell's um, ability to spin a good tale in public. He's a good PR person, not such a great senator. Uh, no, he isn't, sadly. Uh, one question before we uh, let you go. Uh, there were, I think, five or six Republican senators uh, who uh, tried to challenge the Electoral College uh, certification vote uh, last week, and I think there were 150. 42 members of the GOP House caucus. Uh, there's some talk about expelling them under the 14th Amendment, uh, which bars uh, members from uh, from Congress who abdicated sedition or treason. How do you feel about that? Well, I, I actually think that that should be upheld. I don't think it will be. Um, and that, again, is probably goes back to the greatest weakness in our democracy is our inability to stand up to these folks, because this has been going on for a long time, what led up to the insurrection on January 6th. And what we have is just a, a failure to hold people accountable and a desire to rock sweep that doesn't work in personal lives and it doesn't work in government either, because eventually what you've done is give people a green light to um, violate the law in this case. Now, I don't think that I'm not blaming Democrats for this. I actually blame more the media for it, for the way that they will frame all of this as how we open the show, like how you open the show, but with the discussion of unity and what that means. Because when you don't look at the definition of that and what does it mean to be unified, where are the Republicans working for unity? Why does no one ask them, what are you doing for unity? Are you going to at least 
confirm Joe Biden's secure top security people that we need. That didn't happen until the first one last night after Chuck Schumer became, you know, the, the majority leader. And that took it took like two minutes and they were done. Yeah. But Republicans haven't done any of that. Sarah did it. No. Uh, Sarah, thanks for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Our guest in this half hour was Sarah Jones, editor-in-chief of Politicus USA. If you'd like to contact her, her uh, her Twitter handle is uh, Sarah Politicus. uh, And I'm sure uh, she will hopefully be able to join us again soon. We'll be back after these messages. Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. America is full of bright lights today after the nation has been shrouded in darkness for four years. I wish I could say our long national nightmare is over and that yesterday was the dawn of a new day in America. But Joe Biden inherits a nation in distress and a democracy in danger. Trump's legacy is discord and division. The tragic events at the Capitol two weeks ago were a stark reminder that the president inherits a deeply divided nation. This means he must focus on healing the psychic scars inflicted by Trump and the grave wounds inflicted on the, by the pandemic. The 46th president began the healing process yesterday uh, in his inaugural speech. You can read the rest of my column and take on presidential politics in the Hill every Tuesday. Just Google muckrack.com front slash Brad Bannon. Uh, now we join uh, to talk about the inaugural yesterday uh, and the dawn of a new presidency. Uh, we turn to the provocative progressive political panel. Our guest on the panel today is Will Juando. Will is a council member at large for Montgomery County, Maryland. Will has been described as as the progressive leader we need by the revered civil rights activist and congressman John Lewis. Will served as associate editor of uh, associate director of the White House Office of Public Engagement under Barack Obama and as an advisor to U.S. Secretary of Education Arne Duncan. You can find Will on Twitter and Instagram at Will Juando, W-I-L-L-J-A-W-A-N-D-O. Joining Will on the panel is progressive political activist Mark Gamaldi. Mark has worked for several Democratic presidential candidates, including Joe Biden. Mark is also active in campaign finance reform and efforts to promote cancer research. His Twitter handle is Mark J. Grimaldi, that's M-A-R-K-J-G-R-I-M-A-L-D-I. Welcome, panel. Will, let's start with you. Uh, Tell us, uh, tell the audience, our viewing and listening audience, how you felt yesterday as you watched the inaugural festivities. Well, you know, as... I think we were talking about off air. It was just, it was a huge relief. Um, you know, I, I don't think collectively as Americans, we realized just the attention that was focused on the daily ins and outs of just the government. I think most people just want the government to function. 
and they they don't want to know yeah, what was the latest. That's not asking a lot, is it? Yeah, or maybe yeah. it is after four years of Trump. <laughs> yeah, what what not what what scandal happened or what did he say next? And and just to be able to kind of know that a norm, normal things are happening and we're not in risk of a bombing somebody or you know. So it was just and and not a, and of course there was that relief, but then just the historic nature of what happened yesterday. You know, there's so much history wrapped up in first woman vice president, first South Asian, first African American you know, oldest president, you know, the, the the story that Joe Biden has gone through in his life with his tragedy and reaching this point. And there's just the Senate getting the Senate as well. So it's just a great day. And and I thought the fact that it was actually done during COVID, uh, how how well produced and how, you know, I just think every inauguration should be online now because, I mean, you know, everyone experienced it and it was so well done. And and, you know, so I just think it was just a, a great day for America. And it started that process that you just talked about of healing. You know, there's a long way to go, but I think it was a heck of a start for, for that process. Uh, Mark, what were you thinking and feeling yesterday as you watched the inaugural festivities? You know, I I, I thought at times about how low I felt uh, after um, Trump uh, assumed the presidency um, I've never shared this on air, but I, I just will. I mean, I, I'm sure other people felt this way and maybe didn't want to talk about it. You know, there's a big stigma around mental health, but, um, you know, I felt really depressed and it was hard to get out of bed in the morning. Um, I worked really hard because I saw the, the danger of Trump. I worked really hard, um, you know, volunteering in that election uh, and, uh, I just, I couldn't believe it. And it felt like, you know, my entire world and my family's world was just the ground was shifting under us. Um, you know, my, my youngest daughter was born on the last day, um, of the Obama presidency. I can say both my daughters were born during president Obama's tenure, which, which made me happy, but also it was, um, quite a contrast of feelings. I didn't quite, just being honest, it, it affected me so much. I didn't quite get to fully enjoy the birth of my yeah. second daughter as much as I would have, which pains me to say, I feel guilty even saying it out loud. But the thing is, I know so many other Americans went through similar um, ranges of feelings because we recognized how dangerous this man was. Um, we couldn't have imagined, you know, specifically 400,000 deaths from COVID-19, you know, um, from a pandemic that, you know, we were told would just disappear, you know, we were told was contained and we all knew, you know, that he was a liar, but I don't think we realized how much of a liar he was and how badly he would have handled it. I mean, I'll just cap this off by saying when the Biden administration entered the white house, as many have heard in the news today, they discovered that there is no COVID-19 vaccine distribution plan and on the why federal level. That surprised me, sadly. It, yeah. You know, it sh probably shouldn't. I think we all thought probably that it was there was a bad plan or an outline that they were following, just not following well. But to find out that 400,000 people, Americans have died and there's no, no plan distribution plan is just staggering. So, so I felt the opposite of that yesterday. I felt a lot of relief, but then I finally started... Once I saw that the safety was, I think a lot of people were worried about the safety of the inauguration. I know I was. So once I yeah. saw that it went off without a hitch, I kind of was able to exhale. I'm sure you both were. And then really just take it all in and to see the progress. I mean, we all do this because we, we 
our vested interest holders in the American people and to see the the work that's already being done by the Biden administration with the executive yeah. orders. I mean, he's not just basking in the glow of becoming president. That's not what he's about. He's about action. And I believe his quote was something like there's, you know, there's no better time to start than today or something to that effect and uh, or why not today? And, and I'm just that's exactly what we, we need right now. Hey. So I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Amen. Uh, well, uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, the uh, former president. Uh, although I've seen all sorts of attempts in the last uh, few days, and I'm sure historians will be busy at work uh, trying to uh, talk about uh, the uh, legacy that Donald Trump leaves behind. Will, uh, what do you think is the legacy that Donald Trump leaves behind? Well, I think that was if it wasn't solidified before January 6th, it certainly was after. I mean, he is the president, the twice and preached president, and, and he deserves that high dishonor uh, who incited violence against a branch of government. Um, and, and if you think about how his whole political career started, it was based in inciting people to be angry about the changing demographics of the country. Um, and, you know, if you had to ba boil it down. Your life is worse because these people are coming or they're taking from you or they're, you know, they're coming to the suburbs or, you know, go down the line. It's all related to that base fear. And and that culminated. Uh, and and he's not the the uh, only person to blame. He was the manifestation of things that had already been going on. But but he certainly encapsulated all of it. And and it boiled over to us, the state we saw on January 6th. And I think that will be. Uh, he will be go down as the worst president in history. I think it was, uh, you know, uh, there's Republicans who have said that, and that will be his legacy, twice impeached, who incited violence against a branch of government. Uh, and he will never be uh, included. You saw those living presidents, except for Jimmy Carter, who's at home, do that wonderful thing where they said, we wish you the best. He's not going to be involved in any of those ever. And so, yeah. and, and that's going to be his lot in history, and deservedly so. Okay. Uh, Mark, uh, what do you think Donald Trump's legacy will be? I, I think Will is correct in talking about uh, the worst president in, in history, at least in modern history. Those of us who have, um, you know, our grandparents alive, you know, they can talk about uh, presidencies past. You know, a lot of people, I think at the beginning, Brad, you talked about the comparison to, to Richard Nixon and, yeah. and how he's just blown right past that, something you never thought. Yeah would happen, Brad, you know, having lived through that, obviously, you know, I, I, I was not alive for that, but, but I, I'm a student of history and, you know, I respect, uh, history, but I think, you know, the insurrection really did cap it off to, to, to credit will for that point, um, trying to overthrow our government, you know, with it's sedition, it's just, it, words don't do it justice, I would say. Yeah. Okay, we're going to go to a uh, break now, but we'll come back to the break. We'll have more of the provocative progressive political panel. Joining us on the panel today are Montgomery County, Maryland Councilman uh, and former Obama administration official Will Joando and progressive political activist uh, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, I should remind you, uh, we're going to stick with our uh, TV viewers, uh, our radio listeners. We'll be back in a few minutes. And a note to our radio listeners, you can now watch us on Periscope.tv. 
uh, Facebook Live, and YouTube if you uh, want to continue uh, with us uh, during the radio breaks. Anyway, we'll be back uh, right after these messages. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, and welcome back to our radio listeners. And uh, to our radio listeners, let me remind you, there you can now watch us uh, if you'd like to see uh, all the exciting things that happen during the radio break. Uh, you can watch us at Periscope. Uh, tv.com front slash Brad Bannon. Uh, you can also watch us on Facebook Live and YouTube. So uh, don't miss even one minute uh, of the show. Okay, let's try this. Uh, Will, uh, yes, uh, yesterday, uh, Joe Biden's speech was uh, full of reconciliation. Uh, but one thing and, you know, I, you know, it's obviously that, you know, Joe Biden is trying to cool the temperature in American politics uh, because nothing, you know, he feels and he's right. Nothing gets done when people are screaming at each other or invading the Capitol, for that matter. Uh, and he's trying to lower the temperature in American politics. But he right off to get go now has to deal uh, with a Senate impeachment trial. And my question is, does the uh, second impeachment trial for Donald Trump, however well-deserved, interfere with Joe Biden's uh, uh, push for his issue agenda and also to cool down the temperature in American politics? Well, it's a great question. I do think the speech focused appropriately on unity on America, uh, not on a particular agenda, but it was a realistic speech. It also called out the the terrorism, the white supremacy, uh, the nativism, you know, uh, that we've seen that are not uh, the parts of America that have, they've been here, but it's not what our ideals have called us to. Uh, and I, I think he struck appropriate balance. You know, as far as impeachment goes, you know, I think it's important for the sake of our democracy for impeachment to have happened and for the Senate to move expeditiously with the trial, and the president has said he's going to let them do their process. Uh, I do think because of our media environment and because of the former president's uh, intransigence, that he does still pose a threat as far as running for office again and or he's you know setting up his own media company and still you know poisoning and trying to separate Americans. So I do think that it's appropriate for the crimes that he committed and in inciting that insurrection, that he be held accountable and that there be consequences. Uh, I, I understand politically, to your point, that uh, you have to walk and chew gum and try to move forward with nominations and, and other things. And I think you're going to see both of those things happen. Uh, but I think because of what happened, it was so serious that this does need to move forward and, and complete. Okay. Uh, Mark, how do you feel about this? Uh, you know, it seems to me that uh, the media focus is going to be on the impeachment trial uh, and not uh, and not uh, Joe Biden's agenda uh, while the trial is going on. Um, it also seems to me as kind of an exercise in futility, uh, because I doubt whether you're going to get 17 Republican senators to revoke 
uh, to remove Donald Trump from office. Uh, my guess is you might get a few this time. You only got one last time was Mitt Romney. My guess is even Mitch McConnell might vote to remove him this time. Uh, Lisa Murkowski can't, might, and uh, maybe Susan Collins and one or two others, but you're not going to get 17 Republican votes to remove him from office, um, especially since he's already been removed from office. How do you, how do you feel? And I, you know, he deserves, Donald Trump deserves whatever uh, is coming to him, in my opinion. I wish they'd removed him from office the first time around. We would have saved a lot of problems and maybe the lives of several hundred thousand Americans. Uh, but where do you stand on this, Mark? You know, when you ask the question and, and you allude to the fact that we don't know uh, or that it would be difficult, realistically difficult to get 17 Republican senators to go along with convicting in the Senate. I think the, the quote of, of Martin Luther King came to mind. Um, the time is always right to do what is right. And I think this is a particular instance of that because of the seriousness of the crime, as Will correctly brought up. Um, you know, five people died, um, including a Capitol police officer who was murdered. Um, this even Mitch McConnell said, um, I believe it was two days ago that the mob was, uh, incited, uh, and, um, it was incited by the president and other people in power. So that's the Senate minority leader of the party, um, of the Republican party. And I do think if he goes in that direction, if one thing Mitch McConnell has shown is he can whip votes, um, is he going to whip a majority of his caucus? No. But is he going to get maybe more than we could anticipate? Possibly. Um, but even if he does not, I think you need to see this through because of the seriousness of what happened. And you need to show that people are going to be held accountable. Um, because if not, you know, we, we've already seen on the state level the dangers of this group, uh, you know, with Governor Whitmer of Michigan almost being kidnapped. Um, we've also had right. the, the threats of other state capitals um, that was before the inauguration. They, they put out a threat uh, warning for all 50 state capitals. You had, even though it wasn't taken seriously by the Trump administration, you had FBI Director Ray uh, warning of the threat of domestic terrorism and white supremacists um, within the United States. So I think this also sends a message to much more than Trump. Um, and I think it's about more than Trump, even though he is the one who is on trial. So I think you do need to go forward with it. And I think the American people, as it's the other thing, as this, this trial goes on, they're going to be seeing if they're, if they are paying attention and that's what they're watching, they're going to be seeing the bad acts and the violence, and it's going to all be laid bare as to what was done. Um, so I think that keeps in mind why it's serious. And I do think that if anybody can walk and chew gum at the same time, it's Joe Biden. Um, and I've, I'm not concerned about him being able to get the job done while the impeachment trial is going on. I think it has to be both. OK, uh, Will, let me take uh, one. Me, I want to ask you to take off your Obama administration uh, hat and put on your local government official cap. Uh, what uh, one of the uh, part of Joe Biden's agenda is new pandemic aid package, which is already uh 
garnered criticism from Republicans in Congress for the size of the package. But part of it includes uh, aid for local governments trying to fight the pandemic, like Monte- Montgomery County, Maryland. Could you speak to that, please? Sure. It's it's a critical component. I can tell you, you know, I represent, have the honor of representing 1.1 million residents, uh, many of whom are struggling like all across the country with rent, food security. Uh, you know, their kids are falling behind in school. They're, they're you know, we have, you know, over 100,000 people, uh, you know, or I'm sorry, excuse me, more than 1,000 people that have died uh, here in our county from COVID. Um, so go down the list and we have, you know, serious issues. The CARES Act money that we received 187 million in that first tranche. And because we're a jurisdiction larger than 500,000, that money comes directly to us. So that 350 billion, which is proposed, whatever it ends up being, that's a lifeline and goes directly into the pockets uh, to keep people in their homes, to help our support our small businesses so they don't close the 90% of our businesses that are smaller than 50 people. Um, and a whole food insecurity, a whole range of things. So that money is critical. Uh, we have to balance our budget every year. We're already facing uh, somewhere around $150 million deficit. Uh, that And that means if we don't have support, we're going to have to make some really difficult decisions. Thankfully, we have a reserve fund of over half a billion dollars that we built up over time. But you know that's not never ending. And uh, many jurisdictions don't have that. And so I just think that is such critical support for for families and individuals. So I'm really hopeful that that can move forward. It was taken out of that $900 billion package we needed in a, in a very uh, important and desperate way. Yeah, I should notice uh, note that uh, today the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said uh, the House would move on uh, the uh, president's I, I, having a trouble getting used to President Biden. Uh, <laughs> I keep wanting to say vice president, too. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but she would move. The House would move on it in uh, January. So uh, and God knows what will happen in the Senate. Uh, one Democrat has um, already expressed. Uh, Jill Manchin of uh, West Virginia has also has already expressed skepticism about the package. Uh, and uh, it's going to be a big push for Joe Biden. But the, na- the nation really needs needs it. Uh, That's it today for Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, Thanks to our guests, Sarah Jones from Politicus USA, Montgomery County, Maryland, uh, uh, Council Member Will Juwando, and progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. I'm usually here Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time if the Lord is willing and the creek don't rise. Very little danger of Trump declaring martial law at this point, fortunately. This is Brad Bannon. Uh, Stay strong, stay safe, and stay sane if you can while the pandemic rages. If we got rid of Donald Trump, we can get rid of the pandemic. Now let's go Biden. I'll be back Monday, same bat time, same bat channel. Leslie Marshall will be back tomorrow in this time slot, so make sure you listen to her or there'll be big trouble. We'll talk. I'll be back next Monday. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Can't find a playlist for your unique taste? With two different mobile apps, TD Ameritrade makes sure that doesn't happen when you invest. Check out TD Ameritrade Mobile and Thinkorswim Mobile to find the app that's right for you. Member SIPC. You might not think that a few simple words could make you crave McDonald's breakfast sandwiches. But if you listen closely to the sound of me saying McGriddles, McMuffin, you might be wrong. 
Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.